It is Wednesday, October 21st. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA Podcast. And now, today's topics. It looks like Dana White is finally putting his foot down with Conor McGregor, and I'm all for it. Dana White has begun to use social impressions to gauge how big a event is and how big a fighter is and that makes sense but it also makes sense to maybe cut these fighters in on all the free advertising they're generating for the UFC I'll talk about that the MMA media dropped the ball at UFC 254 pre-fight press conference by not asking Dana White about Mike Perry's domestic abuse allegations that's the biggest story in in the sport right now and it needs to be addressed The media failing to do so is an embarrassment and a disappointment. Now on with the show. It looks like Conor McGregor has lost some of his pull with the UFC. Only earlier this year when he was booked to face Donald Cerrone. That fight was booked at 170 pounds and UFC President Dana White said that more or less McGregor didn't want to cut weight and that's why the fight was going to take place at that weight. And even though it was a a welterweight bout, that McGregor would get a title fight off of that if he he won. He won, but then COVID happened and no title fight for, for McGregor. It seems as if things have changed, and I believe that's partially due to what uh, Habib Nurmagomedov said earlier this week or last week, which he said that a if the winner of the McGregor and Poirier fight, if that fight takes place at anything but lightweight, then there is no title fight for that person because why should he fight someone that's competing at welterweight or middleweight? He said that didn't make sense to him, and it doesn't make sense, but White would have last earlier this year, White didn't seem to mind. Now he does seem to mind, and I think he seems to mind because this is no longer Conor McGregor's world, and White is trying to get whatever power McGregor had back. The first indication of that was when McGregor wanted to fight in 2021, and White said no, and the next indication of that was is this and if there's going to be another indication it's where the fight is going to take place because McGregor said he wanted it to take place at Dallas Stadium we'll see if that happens but I think White has been more willing to pull back on this because of the situation that maybe not the UFC is in but definitely that the UFC's uh, ownership group is in and that they're the only uh, money-making part of the of that of endeavor so I think white needs to cut costs and one way of cutting costs is going to be denying Conor McGregor whatever he wants and if they don't get a Conor McGregor fight they don't get a Conor McGregor fight I think that's where they're at what they would like it sure do they need it no so what white said here and this is to BT Sport it's 155 pounds. I'm not putting on a friggin' multi-million dollar fight at catch weight. That means nothing. That fight means nothing at 170. Neither one of these two are ranked at 170 pounds, and it doesn't do anything in the 55-pound division if either of one of them win because they're fighting at 170. It literally makes no sense. 
it made sense earlier. And then White went on to say, listen, Connor likes to play games. Connor plays games and he does his thing. One thing Connor doesn't do, Connor doesn't commit to a fight and then not fight. Connor fights. When he agreed to this fight, and I haven't, I'll, I'll link to the previous episode where I talked about this. Legally, McGregor did not agree to the fight because he agreed to, partially he agreed to it. And when he added another term to it, which was the Cowboy Stadium thing, well, that was not that part was not an agreement to the original deal. You have to agree to everything that's presented with no additional stipulations. And this is from uh, Dan Lust, who is a lawyer and, and sports, told him, told me this: you have to do that. You have to agree to everything, or it's not legally binding, more or less. So it's not. So in effect, McGregor has not agreed to this fight. So there's going to still be more, you know, pissing matches in this. And I think this weight thing is going to be one of them because I think McGregor and Poirier both expected it to take place at 170. And now that that's off the table, I think this could get interesting. And there's still all that background stuff with the tying the fight to the to Poirier's charity and all that stuff that could go on too. So this fight is far from done. I don't. I'm 50-50 on whether it takes place, but I'm leaning to the not taking place. McGregor doesn't need it, and if there's going to be stipulations and if he's going to have to cut weight and all this other thing that it doesn't take place in Dallas Stadium and there's not maybe not a gate, then I think McGregor's maybe less likely to to accept all the terms. And this still, they have not talked about money, so we don't even know what's going to happen there. I don't think they're going to cut a giant check because Endeavor needs as much money as it can get. I mean, I mean the money's there, but you know the UFC still needs to keep that that revenue share down below twenty percent for the fighters. And McGregor uh, can really blow that out of whack if he fights and demand if he demands something more substantial than what he got to fight Cerrone. So I don't think this is done. And I do think it's all about taking the power back. But then it's also maybe about trying to make this rematch between Nurmagomedov and McGregor. And that I don't have any interest in seeing. It's a dumb fight. It's an unnecessary rematch. And it's based on making money for the UFC. So I don't mind if McGregor says no to these terms. Just like I don't mind if uh, Nurmagomedov, if he wins on Saturday, says no to the rematch. Dana White has started to really use the social media numbers and impressions to gauge things as of late. And I understand that it is a good gauge and more or less these things turn out to be free advertising, quote unquote free I mean, you get enough impressions, the the things are paid for, the, the promos are paid for, and the promos are probably almost all shot in-house. So there's no probably no additional expenses to these promos and what they would normally incur. And so White said at the pre-fight press conference today, according to, and this is from an MMA junkie story, according to the UFC's social media stats, Nurmagomedov is one of the top three followed accounts across all networks. 
including an astounding 21.9 million followers on Instagram, 2.8 million on Facebook, and another 1.1 on Twitter. So while discussing the UFC's own social accounts, Nurmagomedov videos have generated more than 222 million views on Facebook, which officials say include four of the top seven videos in company history. More than 100 million of those views came in 2020 alone. And this was all about how big the fight is trending, and White said it's trending bigger than UFC 229, which I don't know because we're never going to know these numbers. All we're going to get is numbers that the ESPN feeds to whoever they want to feed them to. So it's hard to judge things these days when we don't get when we don't get num- real numbers. We just get what the UFC reports, which self-reporting numbers can be, you know, less than believable. The thing I have a problem with here is Nurmagomedov has generated 222 million views on Facebook. He gets zero dollars from that. So the fighter generates the views, not the UFC, the fighter generates the views. In a just world, this would be broken down into a number, a financial number, and that would be maybe a percentage of that could go to the fighter. Without the fighter, the views don't happen. And this is, goes for Joaquin Buckley's knockout too. He generated a ton of free advertising for the UFC. The problem is the UFC owns the rights to the fighter's images and can just put out this content whenever it wants. And I'm trying to get the numbers of how this breaks down into advertising dollars and what it's worth, and hopefully I'll be able to get that. If I do, I'm going to publish it, and then we'll see how much it, it is really worth to the UFC for these these social impressions. I'm going to think it's a, a quite an amount. It's probably in the millions of dollars. And even if you give the fighter a small percentage, it's still a percentage that they deserve because, like I said, they create the content. They create the viral moments. They create what people want to see. Not Dana White, not the UFC brand, the fighters. They And the fighters get so little share of the revenue they generate. It, it's sad and pathetic and ridiculous. So hopefully as more of these numbers get exposed, the fighters have more of a reason to maybe step up and tell the UFC that they're being treated unfairly and maybe form an association and maybe push for at you know at least a 30% share of the revenue which still is shitty but it's 10 10% more than they're getting now anything is better than what they're getting this is another example of how the UFC screws the fighters another example they're never ending they're always growing, and this is just another one. And it's another, it's one that not many people think about. So I really hope I can get these numbers. And I think people will be shocked about how much free advertising these highlights and videos generate for the UFC. And hopefully that'll just be an, another grain of rice on the scale to tip it in favor of the fighters at just a little bit. To me, and maybe not to anyone else, but to me, the biggest story in MMA right now is the Mike Perry 
domestic abuse story, which came out on MMA Junkie, and I would encourage everyone to read it. Watch the video with Danielle Nickerson, Perry's ex-wife. Watch that video. Listen to the 911 call from Perry's mother, and then make your judgments on who you believe. But also note that in the story, there are police records, there are photographs, and there are 911 calls. There, so a lot of the information is available and makes you believe that Nickerson is telling the truth here. And if you're going to say that she's out to make Perry look bad, I don't think that's the case. I think this is just a woman sharing her story and trying to make people aware. Plus, what, what's what's she gonna get from Perry? I mean, I don't I don't think he's a someone who is wise with his money. So there's I, I would I would think there's really not a lot to get from Mike Perry. That's just my opinion, but you know, take that for what it's worth. Anyway, so that's the biggest story in MMA right now to me, bigger than UFC two fifty four, and it's big because it shows that. Once again, the UFC looks the other way when it comes to domestic abuse. Remember when Dana White famously said, you don't, you don't bounce back from putting your hands on a woman? Well, you obviously do because Greg Hardy's in the UFC, Anthony Johnson's going to be in the UFC, and Mike Perry's in the UFC. And there are others who are in the same situation, and there are going to be more in the, in the future. So we know that that line is bullshit. The UFC has made no statement about this. Zero. Usually they come out with the, the, we'll look into it, and then they hire a third party to look into it, and then nothing comes of it. But they didn't even make that statement as of yet. The media at UFC 254 embarrassed itself and failed to do its job by not asking about Perry's situation and what the UFC planned to do about it, or if the UFC had a statement on it. And before people say, well, the, the press conference was for UFC 254, I don't care. This was a UFC story. It needed to be addressed by Dana White, and it needed to be addressed in a public p- place as, as the press conference was. This is not behind closed doors. This is not a scrum issue. This is a UFC big issue. And so White should have been asked about this. Not one person, not one, even mentioned Perry's name. And that's a damn shame. And it, it, as a member of the MMA media, it's embarrassing. No one did their job. And I know there's fear of losing credentials, but the honest fact is, if you're going to lose credentials over that, so what? You did your job. And if you didn't do your job, you should feel a little bit embarrassed, at least a little bit embarrassed. To me, the only people that need to go to UFC events are the videographers. They're the only real essential people for these for the websites. Because they can ask the questions, they can film the questions, and then that could be where everybody can get their content. Because these days, the media is limited anyway. 
So if you have just the video videographers or you train the so-called journalists to do the video as well, well, then there you go. There's no real reason for anyone else to, to really be there. People make a fine living by not going to these events. And if the, the price to pay is your credibility, that's not worth it to me. Not worth it. And it shouldn't be worth it to anyone else. Anyone outside of a videographer really doesn't need to go to an event. It's just unnecessary. So I don't want to, I don't want to hear that excuse because that's what it is, an excuse. A journalist does their job, asks tough questions, and tries to get those questions answered. Now, White probably would have gave some BS statement, but you know what? That doesn't matter either. You ask the question. And so now, this is going to, unless somebody asks, stand, steps up and asks the question, this is going to be something that just gets swept under the rug and absorbed in the media cycle of the UFC, which is exactly what the UFC wants. It wants it to just pass by, and then you're going to look up, you're going to be focusing on the next fight card, and the next fight card, and the next fight card, and no one will ever ask this question. And it eventually, it'll just go away. Because that's what happens. It goes away, and we end up eating shit and accepting it. Greg Hardy, an example. Anthony Johnson, an example. Why do we do that? I don't know. Some people will push the issue, and then they'll be they'll be uh, portrayed as negative. They'll be portrayed as assholes. They'll be portrayed as hating the sport. But the reality is, the people that keep bringing it up, like this, I would say, like the sport more than the ones that don't bring it up, because there's the ones that are trying to improve things overall. They're the ones that aren't accepting everything the UFC sells. They're the ones trying to ask the hard questions. These questions won't get answered for them because they've been blacklisted, but at least they're trying. I can't say the same about the access media. I think they're working out of fear, and that's a terrible thing to, to, to have happen. There's still a chance to bring this up. There's still a chance for the access media to ask this question. There's probably going to be another press conference after the event. Ask it there. I want. I I hope it gets asked in a in a big public way, because it's a big public issue, and it needs to be addressed. Um, so, if the media wants to redeem itself, someone needs to step up and ask this question. If not, I, I'm. It's it's embarrassing to me, and. It, you know, other people should be embarrassed as well because it's failure to do the, the job as a journalist and not ask the hard questions. I'm sure I'll revisit this topic again and again until we get an answer. And if, I, if it becomes annoying, I apologize. But maybe you should ask the other people in the media why they're not pushing the issue. It shouldn't fall to just a handful of people. And with that, I'll call it a day. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe.